One of the great minds in Christianity in the 20th century was a guy named C.S. Lewis. He wrote some books. Uh, he did a lot of uh, philosophy. He, did, he was a great thinker and apologist for the faith as well. And one of the things he, he said about people, about just humankind, is that we are half-hearted creatures. We're half-hearted creatures. And in the context, he's talking about how we mess around with things of this world that are temporary pleasures, temporary satisfaction and fulfillment, and we chase after those things. And meanwhile, we're being offered eternal fulfillment, eternal purpose. And we set that aside for these lesser things. We're half-hearted creatures. In fact, we, we pursue things that are not worth our time when something worth far more is there. And that, that's what it looks like sometimes to be half-hearted. One thing we see clearly throughout all of the pages of, of Scripture is that God does not want half of our hearts. He wants our whole hearts. He wants us all in. And as we start this new year, I think this is a great thought, this new ministry year, it's a great thought for us to focus on is does God have our whole heart? Are we fully devoted followers of him? In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is addressing the various large churches in the time. And at one of the churches, the church in Laodicea, he, he says, you, you are, I've seen your deeds, you are neither hot nor cold. And he says, so uh, because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. <laughs> He's very clear. He's basically saying, the, the halfway, the half-heartedness kind of makes me sick. It makes me sick. You, know, you, say, you say that you want to follow me, but you don't really do it. You don't, you're, you're half-hearted. You're, you're wandering uh, to the point where I don't know if you really mean what you're saying. He wants our whole hearts. Now, Jesus has great mercy and love and nothing but great things for, for us who are broken sinners, every single one of us, right? He is great. He covers all of that with grace. This isn't about lacking grace. He has more grace than we can even fathom or imagine. But he wants us to respond to that grace with our whole hearts. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, this is back way beginning. This is from Moses. It says, but if, if, if from there you seek the Lord your God, talking about when they're going into the promised land, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. There's promise after promise relayed through scripture. We just saw this in the promises series that if we seek God with our whole hearts, he will be found by us. And then again, in Jeremiah 29, 13, much later in the history of God's people in the Old Testament, you will seek me, he says, and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We are called to seek him with all of our hearts, to be fully devoted seekers of God. So once again, as we look to start this new ministry year, let's consider what it means to be fully devoted, and let's think about the dangers of half-heartedness as it, comes, as it relates to our approach to Jesus Christ, our Savior, and as we approach him in worship. He wants our whole hearts. And we're going to look as a case study about full, full devotion and half-heartedness. We're going to look at King Asa in the Old Testament. Now, he's one of, one of the earlier kings after the divided kingdom. So if you know your Old Testament history, which a lot of times we get to, gets a little muddy in our brains, right? Um, so God has, has this chosen people. Um, I'm just going to pick it up from Egypt, right? They were slaves in Egypt, um, and, and he, he brings them out of Egypt in a glorious way under the leadership of Moses. He's showing them all sorts of signs and wonders, but they are half-hearted, and so they end up having to wander in the wilderness for 40 extra years than they were supposed to have to before God gives them 
their promised land. He gives them their promised land. He has them led by, by different various leaders. And eventually they're like, we want to be like all the nations around us instead of following prophets and whatnot. We want to follow a king. And so they, the God finally says, okay, fine, if that's what you want, you can, you can do that. And he appoints a king. The king's a total failure. He appoints another king, David. And David's line is promised to, to be on the throne forever. Um, as things work their way out, a couple generations after David, David, then Solomon, and then Solomon's sons, they, his, his, it becomes a divided kingdom. It goes from a united kingdom to a divided kingdom. So now you have Israel and you have Judah. All of the kings in Israel are, are wicked kings. Judah, they're mostly wicked kings, but some are good, and they have this cycle, and so really Judah becomes the, the ones who, who carry on with God's promises. And so that's, that's the way that the, the history works. And King Asa is one of those earlier kings uh, in, in Judah. And he, as he rules over the people, he does some things at the beginning of his life that were really good and signs of, of wholeheartedness, of full devotion. But King Asa's life is a tale of two halves, right? So he, the first half, he is all in, he is fully devoted, and at the end, he slips. He slips, and things start to go differently. And we see a lot, and we learn a lot from his story about full devotion versus half-heartedness. We're going to pick it up in First Chronicles chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 9. So this is after he's, he's taken over leadership. He's been cleansing the land of, of idol worship and things of that nature, doing some good things already. And we see how he responds to crisis. It says, Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands. And 300 chariots came as far as Moresha. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephatha, near Marisha. If you just read them like you know what you're saying, people believe you. Uh, all right? So Asa, it says before, uh, Asa has a nice army as well, and he's, he's ready to go. Okay, so verse 11 says, Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. I love how he approaches God. If you look in his prayer, there's this attitude, I think, that, that's super prevalent as he, as he calls out to God, cries out to God in this crisis. It's the attitude of being dependent because fully devoted seekers of God are dependent. And they demonstrate their dependence upon God. They're saying, this is not about me. This is not limited to my power, to my strength. He didn't say, look, I've got this great army. Let's go against their great army. He goes, no, we're powerless we're powerless, but you are powerful. And God, we're calling on you to not let mere mortals rule over you. We want you to step up and for you to get the glory. Fully devoted seekers are dependent on God. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit or acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in the Lord with all, with all your heart, right? It's all there, right there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what fully devoted seekers do. They are dependent. They trust in God, and they trust in God above everything else, including themselves. So God strikes them down. They win a great victory 
and they're in, enjoying uh, some peace. And, and what happens next in this story is that the Spirit of God speaks to uh, King Asa through a prophet. It says, the Spirit of God came on uh, Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, listen to me. Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without a true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to God. So he tells them this story. Like, think about our history. We were separated. We were without a, a God. Um, and this challenge from the prophet, this challenge, he says, now, now be strong, be courageous, don't give up. Your work's going to be rewarded. He challenges King Asa. And because of that challenge, he finds courage uh, through that prophetic challenge, and he takes action, and he calls all of Judah together because of this challenge to swear an oath before God. And here's what we see. Fast, fast forward to verse 11. It says, At that time they sacrificed to the Lord 700 head of cattle, 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had brought back. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with what? With all their heart and soul. That was the promise that they made as a people before God. And King Asa was very serious about the promise. There was rejoicing, uh, and, and everyone swore this promise together before the Lord. It's pretty awesome. What we see is that fully devoted seekers are responsive. Because what I love about this is the whole scene of them promising together as a nation, the whole scene was precipitated by a prophet coming up to King Asa and being like, hey, take courage, keep going, lead the people in this direction. He's like, you know what? I'm going to be responsive to this word of God, and I'm going to do what you're saying to do. I'm going to draw the people together, and as a community, we're going to make a promise to God. He's demonstrating this full devotion through his dependence, through his responsiveness to God's word as well. And we need to have those tender hearts of of responsiveness towards God, because sometimes what can happen is as we go through life, like we, we can get a little bit stubborn, we can get a little bit bullish, and that, that does not serve us well in, in our seeking of God. I also love in this scene, just like we were just talking about, church, the church is a family, it's a body, it's a community, right? This promise in the Old Testament was communal. It was communal in nature. It's a we promise. Yes, it's a collection of individuals all saying I, but that, when they come together, that's a we promise. Right? We're going to do that together. So now this group of people, this communal uh, promise that they have made, it, it, involves, it involves these individuals and involves the community, and they are now, on our, are now accountable to God, but also they're accountable to each other in holding up that promise. It's, it's an amazing thing. And God created his people to live in community. And as a result of that, in 2 Chronicles 15, 19, it says there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So they experienced a great amount of peace. And that's repeated a few times during the account of Asa's life at the front end, that they were experiencing peace. I think the interesting thing about that, not to over-spiritualize that line, but we experience peace when we're aligned with the Lord, when we're fully devoted to Him. There's turmoil when we're fighting our own battles. There's turmoil when we, when we are taking it up on our own and when we're not following him and seeking after him and being fully devoted with him. The, half, the, you know, the, the half-hearted worship of God, the half-hearted seeking leads to turmoil. The whole-hearted seeking, the, the, the full devotion leads to peace. And that's even when the situations around us are filled with tribulation and struggle, right? He gives us a peace within that and he allows us to walk through that with his help. 
We don't experience peace in our hearts when we're not fully devoted. Moving into chapter 16, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 1, King Asa's account says, In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. So this is the divided kingdom. Now they're, they're fighting among one another in this case. It says, Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace. And he sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling at Nebascus. And he said, let there be a treaty between me and you, as there was a treaty between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. So as the story continues, Ben-Hadad accepts this treaty, and Judah gets delivered from Israel. Now here's the thing. We see very clearly in what comes next, I'm about to read it, that King Asa missed a step. What did he miss this time? He's facing a threat. He missed a step. He missed that prayer, that devotion, that submission to God, that de- really that dependence upon God. And he's now beginning to trust in his own wealth. Like, what does he turn to? He, he turns to the silver and the gold, right? He turns to treaties. He turns to other leaders. He stops turning to God, and for whatever reason, he starts turning to other people. He starts turning to the things he can control, things that he, can, that he has his hands on, like his silver and his gold, to create to create this thing. Now, it still worked out for him in this instance. Like, this did result in deliverance. So sometimes our strategies will look like they're working. They'll look like they're working for a minute. When we, when we try to go out on our own, we're like, okay, I forgot to, to consult God on this. I forgot to go to him and, and hear from him. It might look like it's working even when it's not. Because in this instance, it worked, but in, in his life, it, it doesn't in, in, the, in the long run. We'll pick it up in verse Seven. It says, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you, re- you relied or depended on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has, has escaped your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. Half-hearted seekers. So we've talked about fully devoted seekers. Half-hearted seekers are self-reliant. They look to themselves. They look to their resources. They look to their relationships. They try to take up the solution and control the situation. They're they're self-reliant. We battle that. Every human being battles that. Every human being battles that. But we don't want to be half-hearted seekers. It doesn't lead to peace. Sometimes, again, you get even what you want out of the self-reliance in the immediate, but in the long run, you're not heading in the direction that's best for you and that God wants you to walk. And I just think about when we are, when we are dependent on him and what that looks like, and, and yet when we're dependent on ourselves, how, what that must look like to God, you know? I think about my, my kids as they've grown up, and Eliza's sort of in this phase right now where she's starting to become more independent. She's four, and she wants to be able to do her own thing, you know? And so sometimes, like, we're cleaning things up, and she wants to be helpful, and she wants to clean up uh, something. The other week, she was carrying, like, a basketball, you know? The, you know, this little ball that people throw around and can make shots from, like, 50 feet away. Like, she picks this basketball up, and she walks a couple steps. She goes, ah, it's too heavy. It's too heavy. 
So I'm like, okay, I can get it. She's like, no, let me help. So she wants to help, right? And it's so sweet. And I've talked about how she loves to help clean or help move things around and stuff like that before. But she uh, still had her hands on the ball and she wants me to help her to move it. And as, as we're going, it, it's like if she becomes self-reliant, it's like, I know the difference with strength. I know her limits and she's beginning to see them as well. But after a while, like in her mind, she's contributing to this process. And in my mind, I'm like, you're just hurting my back, kid, you know, because I've got to bend down like this. But wouldn't it be silly if after a while she's like, no, now I've got this. And like she casts me aside, like she has to understand that her dependence upon me is what's allowing this thing to continue to move forward. But when we, we think we're helping God and not the other way around. That's what it gets to. And I, I don't know what exactly went on in the heart of it, King Asa, right? But at some point, he thought maybe he was helping God instead of God helping him. He started out knowing who, who was the one coming in with the strength. But in the end, he thought he could do, handle things on his own strength. And when we get that flipped, when we get that wrong, man, we're in a dangerous place. We're in a dangerous place. Half-hearted seekers are self-reliant. Picking up in verse 10, right where we left off, Asa was angry with the seer because of this. The guy, who, Hanani, who called him out um, for, for not go, depending on God for this situation. He was angry with him. And so he was so enraged that he put him in prison. And at the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. He's just a whole change of heart and attitude and action. Because half-hearted seekers can be stubborn. So even though he did something wrong, now he's being called out on it. The first time he was, he was called out and challenged to do something by a prophet, he responded. He was responsive. Now he's being corrected, he's being called out, he's being challenged to be a person who's fully devoted to God. And he digs his heels in. He imprisons the person who told him not to do that. He's not being responsive, he's being stubborn. And this theme continues in verse 12. It says, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of the king of his reign, Asa died and rested with his ancestors. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut out for himself. I think that's interesting. It's just thrown in there. The tomb that he had cut out for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier covered with spices and very splendid perfumes, and they made a huge fire in his honor. So even to his death, he continued with his stubbornness before God. Even when he was afflicted with something where he didn't have control he didn't relent. He didn't let go. He just held on and he kept fighting. He continued to be half-hearted. He continued to be half-hearted. And, and you see, like, God kind of leaves him to it. He leaves him to it because here's what the bottom line is. And here's where we need to go, I think, I believe as a church for this coming year. This is my prayer for our church as we enter this new ministry year is that God shows up where he is wanted. God shows up where he's wanted and he moves where he's wanted. And he makes changes in a place where he is wanted. And when people cry out in the heart, the the depth of their heart is crying out for him. And that's the cry of their heart. That's where he shows up. You'll see his presence. You'll sense his presence. You'll know that he's there. God shows up where he's wanted. In the Promises series, and we looked at James chapter 4, verse 8, and we're moving into James, so we're going to see this again in a couple of months. Come near to God, James chapter 4, verse 8 says. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. So I think it's a great time for us to continue to check our hearts, to look at the example of King Asa. I encourage you to read this passage. 
during the course of this week, 2 Chronicles 14, 15, 16. Read that, the account of his life and how things shifted, how things changed as his attitude towards God, as he went from being fully devoted to half-hearted and what that looks like. And why it's just not the place where we ought to be, where God wants us to be. Let's evaluate our hearts. Let's ask ourselves, what is the deepest cry of my heart? What is the deepest cry of my heart? What am I chasing after? What am I seeking? What am I passionate about? What do I care about in my life? What is the deepest cry of my heart? And then another question, how can you tell? How can you tell? When you answer that question, then how how would somebody else know that? How is that showing up in my life? It should show up in so many different ways for us, and sometimes it doesn't show up enough, right? And there's there's grace here. There's grace before the Lord for that. He wants us just to come home. But as, as we think about how it's showing up in my life, how is it showing up as I pr- relate with the body of Christ? Even what we just did earlier. How does it relate as, with my interaction with the body of Christ? How is my full devotion to God showing up in those moments? How is it showing up during my week, in my workplace, in my family life, in my relationships, in my thought life, in my actions, how I treat strangers? How, how is it showing up in various places in my life? How is it showing up in my social media presence? All sorts of different areas where that ought to show up, really every single part of our lives. Because God doesn't want just access to the study of your life. He wants the whole house. He wants the whole thing, every single room. So how is it showing up in each of the rooms of your life? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you came to do, that you were wholehearted in your pursuit of lost people, which includes all of us, that we were lost, Lord, And without you, we would be lost forever. So we thank you, God, that you have made yourself known. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room, regardless of where we are on that journey, God. There are some of us who are struggling right now. We might be struggling with doubt. We might be battling with sin. Maybe we're losing that battle. We might have problems in our homes, in our marriages, in our our workplace. God, we, we could be struggling with all sorts of different things right now, and yet you have a plan. And God, you, in, those, in those moments, even though it's not necessarily going to just disappear, have the struggle disappear, in those moments, you want us to come to you and say, God, I'm powerless, and you are powerful. Come walk beside me, guide me, and direct me. Lord, I pray for the person who's here and, and, and just kind of wondering what this means to be fully devoted. Uh, maybe they don't have a relationship with you. God, I just, I just ask that you would make yourself known to them, that you would reveal yourself in a way that only you can. And God, we thank you for that opportunity, that invitation to simply say yes to the free gift of salvation and the sacrifice that that Jesus made for each one of us, that that is available to every person in this room. God, I pray that that person would have the courage to ask, what does it look like to say yes to that invitation? And Lord, as we as a church, as a community, as we move toward a new ministry year. Lord, would you just give us the ability to be wholehearted for you as a community, to be wholehearted, that we would be excited about following after you, that you would be wanted here by every heart, and that because you're wanted here, because the cry of our heart is for you, that we would experience your presence and your movement in a new and fresh way. God, in a way that 
that draws attention and glory to you only in this community. God, we thank you for this church. I thank you for every single person who set foot in Oak Point Canton. I pray, God, that you would continue to move and build your church here as you promised, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, so don't forget, on the way out, you have cards, you fill them out. There are buckets on the way out. You can set those down in the buckets as we leave. We also have a prayer team, and I can tell you, Nothing would delight our prayer team more than to pray over you for whatever issue that you're dealing with. Maybe you have a question about some of the stuff we were talking about. Maybe you don't know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. You want to know a little bit more about that. You can come up. Maybe you're dealing with something at work, something at home, something in a relationship, something you're struggling with, a thought that has occurred to you that you just need prayer over any, anything in your life. Come forward. They would love to pray for you. We've got, I think, Danny and Valerie. They're going to be up front. Would love to pray for you up here. And as we go, I'm simply going to read this verse from Jeremiah 29, 13 over you as we walk out. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let's be fully devoted seekers of the Lord this week. We'll see you guys on Sunday.